it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And today I am joined not by Keaton DeRocher, but by my good friend, Bob Osgood of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Bob, what's going on, man? Hey, Jake. Doing pretty well. Thanks for uh, asking me to join this week. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be able to podcast with you back to back weeks here. Yeah, um, we've got a nice loaded show. We've got six games under our belt to talk about. Uh, even though you know most of America probably hasn't seen a lot of these games since they've been on in the middle of the workday, but uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But we've got a full agenda for everybody today. We're going to be talking about our first impressions of the team after the first six games. We're going to get into uh, the Garrett Whitlock extension, um, talking about the good and the bad, what we've seen the first week or so, and uh, we're going to really get into some meat of the Xander Endeavors extensions that have been talked about uh, ad nauseum over the last few weeks and that aren't going to get done, and then we'll get to your listener questions. So uh, let's let's get right to it, Bob. Uh, This schedule, man, it has been... Mm -hmm absolutely brutal so 
the the way that the season has opened up uh, at New York, that game was supposed to be on Thursday, got rained out, and then it ended up being on Friday. One o'clock start, four o'clock start on a Saturday, which is a difficult one to watch for me with kids. Um, New York uh, on Sunday night baseball, which always a late game, headed into the workday. And then five o'clock, one o'clock, and one o'clock in Detroit. Who on earth is watching these games, Bob? What, who is the schedule designed for? I don't understand. Give People me my seven work o'clock nights. games. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's for them. And I don't know if you noticed, but it's not going to stop anytime soon. We've got a two o'clock on Friday and a couple afternoon games, which is fine on the weekend, and then right into Marathon Monday. So if you don't have Patriots Day off, then got an 11 a.m. start, which I'd imagine those of us that have to work aren't going to see a whole lot of that either. So I've been watching what I can, innings here and there, and a whole lot of condensed game highlights uh, to to get prepared for this, Jake. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've hopped in my time machine back to uh, the 1930s, and I've been listening by radio uh, as much as I possibly can. So uh, you know, Joe Castiglione has been in my ears, and that's been good. Will Fleming too, um, but yeah, I mean, whew, this uh, this start, I, I I I do really really miss my seven o'clock games. So hopefully, you know, we'll start getting into those uh, midweek with the Toronto series, and then it's pretty much back to normal at that point, which uh, makes me happy. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely a little bit hard to watch. Yeah, and I think a lot of it had to do with the season getting pushed back a week so they the games that were already in the middle of the week here in Detroit got mixed in with a, a Yankees opening day and a Red Sox opening day that got moved to the afternoon so it was just a, a perfect storm but yeah, like you said get back to normal hopefully start next week yeah in that Toronto series is going to be an absolute much must watch uh, oh, yeah. series so for anybody even the casual Red Sox fan has to tune in for that one um, so the Red Sox, as we mentioned, are three and three at this point. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, they've scored twenty six runs. They've had twenty six runs scored against them. A run differential of zero there. Um, so it, it, as five hundred as a five hundred team can get. Um, what are your early impressions of this team from just like a very high level uh, view of of the first six games? I think overall it's been fine. You know, there's nothing new that I'm alarmed about that I wasn't concerned about a week ago. Um, the things that concerned me when we talked on the on the season preview still concern me. We're short two trustable bullpen arms. They're short a right fielder who can play competently defensively, whether it's that person's fault or not. They're still short a right fielder. Um, you know, I think the rotation's been solid. We're going to get into all of these in a little bit more detail. But in a league where starters are not going deep, where spring training was two weeks too short, you know, we saw a pitcher with a perfect game get pulled after seven today. No pitcher in the league has gone more than seven innings yet. So Pavetta and Ivaldi getting through five innings, Pavetta pitching into the sixth, Hill and Walker into the fifth. You know, Hauk was really the only disappointment so far in terms of, of length of their outings um, as a result of kind of not harnessing their control. So, you know, the rotation's been been fine, but I still have the, the same concerns that I had previously. 
I don't know what you think. No, I think that's a really good uh, grounded, even keel take for, you know, six games into a 162-game season. You can't really change your opinion too much on a team after uh, six games. But one of the most interesting things uh, to me through the first six games was, well, really through the first five games because he didn't pitch today, uh, was the newly extended Garrett Whitlock uh, leading the team right now uh, in innings before today's start. Uh, Eovaldi surpassed him today with the five innings that he pitched. But uh, Whitlock, after one turn in the rotation, despite not being in the rotation, uh, led the team with six six and a third innings pitched. Um, that's really interesting, and, and I'm not the only one who found that interesting. Our first two listener questions today are, are about Whitlock's usage, so we'll just get to those right now. Uh, Tommy Bennett asks us, based on the usage for Whitlock, what do we think the plan is for him? Uh, do we see him being a starter based on longevity, or uh, do we think he's going to be uh, used as a killer bullpen arm uh, for the entire year? I, I think this in- opens up a really interesting question, though, because he was used for four innings uh, on the back of that uh, Rich Hill start, I believe it was. Um, so how, how do you think he's going to be utilized this year, and were you surprised that he's thrown so much already? No, uh, I'm not surprised by it, and I was – making the case in the off season to to have him in the rotation in 2022 whether that's on opening day or memorial day i don't know obviously they need to manage innings and i think they're doing a great job with that by building in several days in between each outing he's not a starter but he almost is pitching with the mentality of a starter and i think that's to keep his his arms stretched out and I'll say Memorial Day, you know, as the, the over-under of when I think he'll be in the rotation. Um, you know, if you have a 26-week season, if he throws five innings on average, that comes out to about 130 innings. And I feel like that's where he's going to end up. It just might be an unorthodox way of getting there. Um, you know, two or three inning appearances. And the other day when he threw less than 10 pitches per inning, um was able to get through four, which was one of the most dominant outings I've seen in a long time where he, you know, he wasn't striking everybody out, but every pitch was working. He was staying on the edge of the strike zone the whole time and was able to just so quickly get through four innings. And I think that's a lot different than 70 relief appearances that adds up to 80 or 90 innings where you might be warming up in games that you don't come in or warming up, sitting back down. I mean, they have a calculated approach of when they're going to use him and building in off days in between um, that it just makes me think between that and the news that a lot of the escalators in his extension have to do with innings pitched, that they're looking at him as a starter long-term and that that will you know, begin at some point this season. Yeah, I think you know you nailed it too, that that, that four-inning stretch that he pitched um, really showed off that that starters arsenal, and I'm with you, Bob. I mean, we talked about this several podcasts ago. Um, that you know, we both believe that he should be a starter. Uh, I think he's much more equipped to be a starter than than Tanner Houck is, and and I think you're right. I think he's on the path uh, to to being a starter uh, fairly soon. Um, I'd love to see the switch made at some point with 
with Houck uh, being in the bullpen and maybe even closing games for the Red Sox uh, and, and Whitlock being in the rotation because the command, the stuff, the the poise, uh, the efficiency, he's just, he's kind of got all of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, we, we got a, a second question uh, on him called uh, from a, a great big lark. And he said, if Whitlock is stretched out to go four innings and looks that good doing it, uh, he has to be moved to the rotation in the near future. And if they do this, who should go to the bullpen? Um, completely agree on, on how he's looked. And, you know, we, we just mentioned that about uh, him moving to the rotation. But, Bob, I mean, would you move Hauk to the bullpen or would you move someone else? Or, or how would you handle that switch if and when it does occur? Yeah, I, th- I think it's really, not to have a cop-out answer, but it's really hard to evaluate that right now. And I think that the pitchers that they signed who all have between Waka and Hill and what they thought was going to be Sale and eventually Paxton, these are all pitchers that have experience starting. And keeping Whitlock in the bullpen for now buys them that time to see who deserves to stay in the rotation. I think of Garrett Richards last year, right? I mean, they gave him some good money. They gave him a chance. It was clear that he wasn't the guy um, and eventually moved him to the bullpen where he ended up being somewhat valuable. And I, I just see a similar path this year where you've got the five guys that are in there now. You add Whitlock, you add Sale, you add Paxton. That are, you've got eight potential starting pitchers, which is great to have that depth. Um, and I think it will all come down to performance. And I'm expecting, even though he stayed healthy last year, you know, we'll see if Rich Hill's arm holds up. You know, there could be an IL stint at some point there. Um, But I don't know. If I had to take a name out of there right now before Chris Sale came back and let's say Whitlock got moved in in May, I think it would be Michael Walker would be um, more of that kind of long man role that I I could see him being, you know, fairly effective in. Yeah, I'm a little bit hesitant with the idea of moving Waka to the pen um, just because we've seen Waka in the pen in the sure. past and he hasn't been effective in that role. And and conversely, we've seen Hauk in the pen and he's been an absolute weapon um, when he's pitched in that role. So I think if I'm looking at these five guys who are in the rotation right now, if they're all healthy and Whitlock is pushing that envelope, to me, it benefits the team most to have Hauk in the bullpen um, because he answers so many questions for you back there immediately. And I'm just not sure that anybody else's stuff is going to translate uh, quite as well uh, to that bullpen transition. Um, but like you said, I mean, this in all likelihood will be answered for us by some type of an injury to somebody um, and, you know, when you've got a 42-year-old and uh, a, a bunch of guys with injury histories in your rotation, it's likely that, you know, we'll see a stretch of the season where, where Whitlock and uh, Hauk are both pitching in the rotation. Yeah, and there's a lot of opportunities, I think, to kind of have a, a quasi-six-man rotation because there are extra doubleheaders that are built in because there's a more condensed schedule. I think there's like four more doubleheaders than they would have had. So I think there will be times, if, if they feel Whitlock should be in there, that they can go with a six-man rotation and 
build in a diff additional off days for some of these younger pitchers. You know, um, Ivaldi threw over 200 innings last year and started on opening day, so they may want to build in an extra day here and there uh, for him as well. So um, you can take that route if there are no injuries, which is yeah, probably that's, a good thing. That's a very good point uh, with the condensed season and uh, the schedule being what it is. Um, let's get to that Garrett Whitlock extension, though. So he signed a four-year, uh, $18.75 million extension, essentially buying out his arbitration years. Um, and then he has two club options for 2027-2028 worth $8.25 million and $10.5 million. So the, the total deal is is worth close to, I guess, what's that, 40 something million dollars. Um, and then there, like you mentioned, there's some escalators in there. Um, what did you think of this deal from the Red Sox point of view, from Whitlock's point of view? I mean, kind of give us the breakdown of, of how you think about this deal. Yeah, I, th I think it's, it's hard to argue that it's a bad deal for the Red Sox. Um, but I totally understand why this would be something Whitlock would want to do now. Um, you know, the, the the risk that the Red Sox have here if they don't pick up the two club options is just a buyout of a million dollars or less on those last two seasons. Um, and then the most that they're committing is 18 and change over the life of the contract, seven million and a, seven and a quarter in 2026, right? So it's not like it's ever going to be a contract that really hampers them. Um, but at the same time, from Whitlock's perspective, with previous arm injuries, you totally understand why he would take that guaranteed money. He's got $18 million no matter what, and, you know, $8 million in 27, 10 and a half in 28, um, with escalators for innings pitched. So he can really make that into a great rookie deal. And it says just how they feel about the player that they haven't extended a pitcher like that since Clay Buckholtz where they've bought out arbitration years and uh, gone into a little bit of the free agency years that you know th that's a long time in between doing that with a pitcher so as soon as I saw that I'm thinking well there's only really two paths here they think that he's their closer of the future or they think that he's a rotation arm for the next six seven seasons and I think we both think that it's the latter of the two, um, but it just tells you what they think of the player. And hearing Heim Bloom talk on uh, it was Chris Cotillo's podcast. He was talking about Whitlock and just how impressive he is as a person, as a leader, um, everything that they look for in a player. That they kind of are. It seems like they're building their rotation around him in the long term. You know, you might need an ace to go with him. Maybe he's a number two. I personally think he has ace upside, but. Um, they want to have him locked up, and it says a lot about kind of when you hear Bloom talk about him, um, what they think of, of the, the person as well as the player. Yeah, I think that's a great point. He's just um, incredibly even-keeled, very easygoing, but gets his business done. He he acts like he's you know a 35-year-old veteran who's made a couple all-star games, but the way that he carries himself... Um, and I don't mean that in like a cocky way, like he carries himself completely without ego, but just like knows how to quietly go about 
doing his work and, and, and getting everything done in a very professional way. So I think you're right. This shows tremendous amount of confidence uh, in him. And I think it's the rare occasion where, like you said, it, it could be a really great deal for both the player and the team. Um, gives him that security. doesn't have to worry about anything but playing baseball. Um, you know, and allows the Red Sox to potentially have a dirt cheap uh, very, very good starting pitcher uh, through 2028. So, um, and I, I say dirt cheap, like <laughs> 10.5 10 million, million right. bucks. But, you know, as, as, as far as uh, starting pitchers of, of his caliber go, that's still a, a tremendous deal, even in the most expensive years of that uh, contract, potentially. So, yeah, I, I love it for both. And, um, man, what a pickup. Uh, in the Rule 5 draft. It's just, yeah. just incredible. Well, and we got to see the way that he handled pressure towards the end of the last season, too. And he was closing out games in the playoffs and coming in with runners on base in the playoffs. And it was just like he didn't have a pulse in a couple of those games. that They, they didn't put him in the easiest situation. So I think that was a huge test, too, to see how he would be able to handle situations like that. Um, you know, really the only thing that we haven't seen is Whitlock as a starting pitcher, and that's what he came up through the minors as. It's not like they're putting him into a role that he's not comfortable with if they make that decision. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to, to find many, if any, criticisms about his career so far, and I think the most important thing is just managing his arm, which they clearly are, are cognizant of keeping him in the in the bullpen for now you know if you escalate that to 130 innings this year and then more like 150 or 160 next year you're on a, a good starters path um i think they're doing a good job of managing that but that's really the only thing that, that could hold him, him back at this point is is keeping his arm healthy yep i completely agree um future's bright for that kid so very happy for him to to get that deal uh, let's switch gears here from garrett whitlock to um, you know, I think the most notable story coming in today before uh, the offense put in put up nine runs, and we're recording this on a uh, Wednesday night uh, at the end of the Detroit series, but it was the offense, and heading into today's game against Detroit, before that one got started, uh, the Red Sox had a 61 WRC plus as a team through the first five games. That's 28th best in baseball. Um, Devers has been incredible. He's been really the lone very bright spot uh, on this team, but Kike has been struggling the back uh, end, the seven, eight, and nine hitters, which we talked about uh, being a little bit of a weakness in this offense. And actually Keaton pointed that out on our last podcast. Uh, Dahlbeck, JBJ, and Vasquez have been struggling mightily. Uh, Story missed a couple of games with the flu before returning today. Um, You know, has this sample size here, Worried you at all about the offense? Uh, we talked about it as potentially, you know, in contention at least for the best lineup in the American League. I think the Blue Jays and the White Sox and maybe a couple other teams are in that conversation, but they're right there. Has your opinion changed at all uh, through the first five, six games? No, I think it was a combination of things. You got rust, you've got a short preseason you've got cold weather um 
and just, you know, teams get into slumps. And other than Jackie Bradley, who is kind of who we thought he was, even with the two, what do you have, two hits today, you know, up to slash line of 133, 188, 267. So, but that goes along with something we knew coming into the season. Uh, it took Kike a little while to get going, but, you know, once they hit the sixth inning on Tuesday, the last 13 innings, they've looked like the Red Sox offense again. And as you mentioned, Story was out for a couple of games and Arauz was playing and the lineup was shortened a little bit even when they had runners on base. They weren't able to, to get those in. So, um, no, I'm I'm not concerned uh, or wasn't. It got a little uneasy through five innings in Detroit on Tuesday, but I'm glad that's come around a little bit. Yeah, I'm definitely not concerned about Kike or, or uh, Vasquez. I mean, Vasquez is what he is at this point. He's a pretty predictable player. Um, sure. You know, Kike is a very good player. I'm sure he'll find himself. Dahlbeck and JBJ, though, uh, are concerns to me. Uh, Dahlbeck was the guy who I predicted to be my biggest disappointment of this year. I think we're still seeing a lot of the same red flags that we saw from him in the first half of the year uh, last year. And so he's somebody that I'm definitely going to be monitoring uh, through the season. And the nice thing about Dahlbeck uh, in this lineup is that the Red Sox do have an answer uh, just, you know, uh, about 30 miles uh, down the road. And uh, if you just take take I-90, you can uh, get Tristan Casas. Yep. Uh, and, and I think that they might have to make that phone call uh, at some point, but it's nice to have an internal answer there. But the JBJ thing is a little bit of a concern. I think we were all kind of worried that they didn't address the outfield more. And um, now that we've seen Arroyo uh, basically in a true platoon with Jackie Bradley Jr. uh, out there in the outfield and in the routes that he's taking on balls and all that, I mean, he's just, he doesn't look comfortable out there. JBJ looks comfortable with the defense, but certainly not at the plate. Um, you know, where do they go with this situation? Because this is one of those ones where they don't have an internal answer here. And the the defense is amazing when JBJ is in there. But I think that, you know, when you're playing Arroyo out there, you're probably going to get less from him at the plate because he's trying so hard on defense and certainly an added injury risk with him. And it just seems like an imperfect situation. Yeah. There is a, a question, because Brandon Stewart asked, do we think Conforto is an option in right field once the comp pick deadline expires? Um, what do you think, Jake? Start with you. I mean, I, I, I hope so. Um, I, would, I would love to see them sign him to like a one-year deal um, or maybe like one of those, those Bloom specials, those two-year deals that really gives the team all the the power there but um you know once they they aren't going to lose that draft pick and they sign him I think he's he's a much 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 better option um and I I think that that does wonders for your bench too I mean the bench is kind of anemic right now I, I'd love to see Arroyo as a pure bench infielder RAUs get sent down and um you know have JBJ as a uh 
as a fourth outfielder. I think that's that's like a championship level bench right there. Yeah. Um, and and Conforto has the potential to add a lot of length to this lineup too. Um, so I would absolutely love that. I think they should look very hard at that. Um, I think it it almost seems like a no brainer at this point. Yeah, and I personally don't think they should wait until the comp pick expires in June. I mean, they have three second round picks. They have the the Erod pick and the pick that they got back for um, not signing Fabian in the second round last year. That's the time that you go make that move. You know, when you have two extra compensatory picks, they have a need there, and I would use one of those to sign Conforto. I think that he would probably be looking for a one-year deal to prove that he's healthy because he got hurt in the offseason, and that was the reason that he was left unsigned and probably wants to cash in next year. But I think it's a perfect fit. You know, sure, he hits left-handed, which Bradley does too, but... You know, you could put Bradley up righty and you'd probably get the same result. Um, so I just, I would make the move now, assuming that Conforto's healthy, because as much as I like Arroyo as a, a bench player, I don't think you need to force the issue to, to get him into the lineup um, on certain days. I just, I think that the, the risk defensively is too great. And we saw it this, this week when, there was an inning that, that all three runs that Rich Hill gave up, I think they were earned, but two of the balls should have been caught. One should have been caught, and one could have been. Uh, and then the big hit came with two outs where they would have been out of the inning. So Hill could have gotten through five innings shutout without that the other day. Um, so I think it's the move now, personally. Yeah, I think there's a great argument for that because, you know, what's is it really worth two months of of not having a guy like Conforto and, and the trickle-down effect that that would have on the bench um, for that extra, I think it would be, what, the 71st pick or something around that that right. neighborhood uh, that you'd be giving up. I, I agree with you, Bob. I think you just get it done now. Stop screwing around and, uh, you know, add that length and that stability to the team right away. So hopefully that's something that they look at. Yep. Um, looking a little bit deeper, though, after the first uh, run through the the rotation here, uh, the starters heading into today um, were 22nd in um, baseball in F War uh, without Eovaldi's start today, 15th in innings pitched at 22 and two thirds, uh, and 15th in Skills Interactive ERA Sierra. Um, so. The starters have been pretty much mid-pack in terms of of innings, a little bit lower than that when you you know take into account F WAR, which is based off of FIP. Um, but I mean, from from what you've seen, is this unit performing kind of up to your expectations, better than expected? What's what's your take so far on the starters? Yeah, I think it's been pretty much my expectation. I think that if the bullpen was in better shape after opening day, they might not have sent Pavetta out for the sixth inning um, in the second game. So his line didn't look as great as it could have been. And as I mentioned, I think Rich Hill pitched better than than his line ended up. Um, 
he he had some really quick dominant innings outside of a, a long third inning in Detroit. Um, you know, Hulk didn't look great. The nine base runners and and three and a third. Uh, he was struggling with strikes. Obviously, a tough lineup in New York. So that was probably the only start out of the six that I really thought was disappointing. So you know, I I think they've been fine so far. And I, as I mentioned, I think you need to go a few more times through to really evaluate whether this is what you want to go forward with, you know, until Chris sails back on June 1st or whatever. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, one of the things I was encouraged by was uh, Rich Hill, though. Like you had said, he, he was getting hit around a little bit in uh, spring training, and you were like, yeah, he's 42. He probably doesn't give a shit about spring training. <laughs> and, uh, you know, lo and behold, he goes out and he looks like a completely different guy. Uh, come the regular season. So I was encouraged to see that. I was also encouraged by uh, what I saw from Waka because I was very unsure what to expect from him. He looked okay in spring. Um, I always take spring with a grain of salt because guys can be working on individual pitches or whatever. You know, it's just not a true sample. Um, so I wasn't sure what to expect, but I thought he looked quite a bit better um, than I was expecting him to. So if those two guys can can be solid, um, and we've seen stretches where Hauk can be solid, he kind of lost his command quite a bit uh, against New York. He was just throwing way too many balls, and his delivery seemed to be a little bit off. But, you know, by and large, you know what you're going to get from from Eovaldi and, uh, and Pavetta. Um, Pavetta's going to be a little bit trick-or-treat, but he's got pretty good stuff, too. Um I, I think they're in okay shape if if Hill and Waka uh, can be what we saw from them. Yep, I I agree with that. I mean, I want to see more of Waka. Kind of, I I I know I have a good feel for what the other pitchers are. I know that Waka down the stretch had some great numbers. I mean, he was awful in the the playoff game against the Red Sox, but he had seven or eight very good starts down the stretch and he made some pitch mix changes I think it was the cutter that he had gotten rid of and threw that 8% of the time he threw 6 of those the other day um, so it'll be interesting to see if, if he sticks with that but you know it was a it was a good lineup that he faced there yeah So definitely definitely encouraging yep uh, the bullpen though we, we have to talk about the pen uh, this was the thing that you and I harped on in the um, in the season opener, season preview show. Um, was just, you know, we're concerned. We're still concerned. We're still concerned that they're two or three arms short. Uh, but, of course, they go out and they're pretty much dominant through the first five games. Um, today, they definitely got hit around a little bit. Cutter Crawford and, and Big Fudge got knocked around a little bit harder than, than they had been before. But... Um, you know, through five games today, they were fifth in Sierra, third in ERA at 1.27, uh, and 18th in innings pitched at 21 and a third. Uh, much better performance uh, from the bullpen through the first five games than than I was expecting. And, you know, some surprises. Diekman getting the first save and looking dominant in that one. Hansel Robles getting the save today. Um you know, have you changed your opinions on any of these guys uh, individually or, you know, on the unit as a whole? No, 
I haven't. Um, I think that Deepman looked great in the Sunday night game, you know, facing the heart of the Yankees lineup with an explosive fastball, and he's been locating his slider, you know, for the most part pretty well. And it was going good for two hitters, and then he gave up a hit and then hit a guy with the with the slider today. So I think that's kind of him, and I don't I don't know who the closer is, but I don't know that he should be in that role, but I think as a, you know, one to two inning pitcher and when he's when he's hot when he he's got his pitches working that you could probably have him out there for two innings as a seventh eighth inning setup guy and Robles is just that break glass in case of emergency closer (laughs) and he was that today you know they they needed him to clean up the mess today that that Crawford had kind of put them into and then Diekman wasn't able to get out of it and it was Robles and I don't know. I think we probably it's time that we give him a little more credit than, than we do on this podcast. Um, but th- I, I think the one that is I'm slightly more encouraged by is Barnes just because his velocity was a little bit better. They're working him back in in low leverage, sixth inning outings, and there wasn't anything that, that stood out to say that he's a mess yet, right? It's only been two innings. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I think they're short a closer. I think they're short another arm. Um, but, you know, it, it's good. And hopefully one or two of these pitchers emerges and it's only one arm that they need. But I just think that there's a, a back of the bullpen arm that, that's missing that, you know, a, a shutdown closer that they're going to need before the end of the season, especially if injuries hit this team. You remember those uh, shirts that the Red Sox made, like, I don't know, seven years ago, the He's the Ace shirts? Oh, God, yeah. And none of them were? And none of them were. <laughs> I wonder if they should make the He's the Closer shirts <laughs> this year for all the bullpen guys. Yeah, well... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like they have, some of them have confidence. It's not like nobody wants the ball. It's more that I don't really want any of them to have the ball. But, you know, and I think St- Strom throws with, with confidence, and Diekman certainly does. He's got a, the screw-it attitude in a couple of his quotes post game. He doesn't but, give two shits if he's no, a closer. No, that's the direct quote. quote him on that. <laughs> <laughs> So and I, I like that. I mean, I, I like the attitude of a ton of these guys. And throw Whitlock in, whether he's a, a bullpen or a rotation arm, or you know. But there's just days that you're like, oh, I wish we could bring Whitlock into this game. 
today being one of them. Oh, wait a minute. He threw four innings yesterday. So yeah. that's really never going to be there on the back end, I don't think. So I don't know. they they got to figure it out. It hasn't been a disaster so far, but it was very close today. If they blew a 9-2 lead today and they were sitting at 2-4 and four and had lost two games in Detroit, I think we'd be singing a different tune, and this might have been closer to the start of the podcast. I kind of think that um, out of all of these guys, the guy with the most irrationally high confidence level in the bullpen is Hansel Robles. Yep. You're there with me, 100%. Yeah, I I think that he thinks um, that he should be making about $10 million a year and, and cl- closing on a, a top team in the MLB. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, he comes in and he... He just chucks it, and you know pretty early whether he has it or not. And he's had it twice so far, and that's been – it saved them today. So I think we feel very similarly about Robles from his his introductions to uh, to closing out games. But I never feel um, – I always feel a little bit uneasy when he's out there. <laughs> and I then he, he might start a fight too. I'm, I'm not ne- never quite sure about that. Yeah, I respect the irrational confidence. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I think, uh, you know, kind of your confidence level in yourself sort of breeds uh, success uh, in, in a way. Uh, I'd rather have him be overconfident than, than uh, a little shaky. But, you know, he, he carries himself like he looks into the mirror and he doesn't see his own face. He sees Mariano Rivera's <laughs> face or something. You know, it's it's really wonderful. Yeah, he's like that... that sixth man that thinks he should be putting up 22 shots a game in the NBA or something and <laughs> launching threes and some Marcus Smart vibes to him. <laughs> yep, that's uh, that's accurate. All right, so uh, enough about this team right now. Um, we have to get to the biggest story in uh, Red Sox world right now. You know, it's it's a it's a topic that we can't avoid any longer. And I, uh, I banned everybody from talking about it in detail on the, uh, the, the season opener, but, but here we go. Uh, Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers both did not get signed to extensions. Um, you know, Xander Bogarts has the option to uh, opt out of his contract. It seems inevitable that he will unless, you know, some serious cataclysmic injury happens to him this season. And reportedly, according to Jeff Passan, the Red Sox and Devers are about $100 million apart in uh, how that each of them is valuing the other side. Uh, Devers just has two years of control left, and uh, Passan said on WEI that it is eerily similar to the Mookie Betts situation, which is not what you want to hear. So, um, yeah. It's a situation that we have to talk about, and um, my personal opinion on this thing is that you need to take care of Xander Bogarts first, Um, and the reason why is not just time. Uh, Time certainly has a a effect to play on this, but I think Xander means a lot to the organization, and I think that you send the wrong signal as an organization if you don't sign a guy like Xander. Uh, to a fair market deal. I'm not saying you have to sign him to a uh, $30 million a year and allow him to play shortstop uh, at a subpar 
defensive level into his 30s. Um, de- definitely not saying that, but I do think you should give him, you know, 28 million per or something like that, something close, uh, and have him play second base for this team, uh, basically till he retires or third base or whatever you want to do uh, with him, probably second base, and and move Story over, but. The guy has come in here since he's been 16 years old and done everything exactly right. And I think it just sends the wrong signal to players that are being developed in this system right now, players on the outside of the organization, prospective guys who might want to sign with the Red Sox if you don't take care of a guy like Xander. So before I get to Devers... I mean, where are you on the Xander thing? Or, like, how, how do you view this situation? I think if you were running a fantasy team or a sim team, like out-of-the-park baseball or something, you'd say that you have to extend Devers. you got to get one of these two done. He's a middle-of-the-order bat that's four years younger and has MVP upside like now. Um, and we kind of know what Bogart's upside is, which is really, really good. But you're not. You're managing people. And along with that, there is a ton of money that is coming off the books next year. And looking at it, it's about $98 million that they have on there. And you know, the tax threshold is $233 million. You can take care of... Story and Bogarts and Devers, and that's a good way to build a team around three infielders who are in their 20s, even though Bogarts will be 30 next year, right? But that's a sustainable way to build a baseball team long term. You're not giving out any, um, you know, irrational contracts that are going to look terrible. In, in theory, you don't think that they will when they're in their mid 30s or holes or Cabrera deals that go till somebody's 40, you know, these are players that you want to build around and you can take care of everybody. And you've got Pedroia who's come off this year and you've got David Price who's coming off next year. And this is how Bloom has built this team. There is not a lot of long-term um, contracts that are out there all one, two, three years and gives you the opportunity to extend all of these players. Um, and I know I'm answering both questions at once, but you can get both of these done. And how much that is, you know, we can get into those details, whether it's 25 or 30 or who's closer to what and how it compares to other players in the league and who has signed contracts previously. But you can take care of everybody. And Bloom has worked in the Rays system and he has done Rays-like things in the, the back end of the roster and you can manipulate things there, but you got to take care of both of these guys in my mind. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, to to get back to, to Xander, you're right. He's not the offensive force that Devers has the capability to be. I think we look at Devers and his age and his uh, his offensive ceiling is is a little bit more attractive, but, um, you know, it's, it's very clear and Devers has said so himself in many interviews that 
he looks up to Xander and that's the guy he's gravitated towards. So, uh, you know, they're clearly very close to each other. I think the effect that it would have on Devers to see Xander get taken care of by the organization is something that we don't talk enough about. I think that, you know, we always, we, we talk about these guys, like you said, like we're playing a sim game or whatever, but they are human. These guys have a very close relationship if Xander gets taken care of, maybe Devers is, you know, willing to go down on whatever he's looking for or do something a little bit more creative. One of the things that I like that I've heard about, uh, you know, bandied about on the radio is, you know, doing something like the first five years of Devers' deal at like 35 per, you know, uh, really high AAV for the first five years. And then, you know, the back end of his deal, a little bit lower AAV, um, Something like that, I think you have a better shot of keeping Devers on this team if you do take care of Xander in the right way. And there is a way to take care of both of these guys and still not block you know, all of the upcoming talent that the Red Sox have in, in Nick York and uh, Marcelo Meyer and, and guys like that because I don't think anybody believes that Devers is going to uh, you know, play third base for the entirety of the next contract that he signs for right. whether that's with the Red Sox or, or elsewhere is there's, there's probably going to be a move to DH at some point. So, you know, that's when one of those other guys comes in, probably Marcelo Meyer uh, comes in and, and maybe Xander moves to third or story moves to third or something like that. But there's a way to get all these guys uh, into the system. And, you know, the financials of baseball too. It's it's possible that the back end of a, a giant Devers contract or a giant Xander contract maybe doesn't even look that bad uh, in the financial uh, environment that you know baseball might be in in five to ten years with how we've seen revenues uh, going up, uh, you know franchise values as well. Um, but one thing I'm just so sure of is that if the Red Sox in two years don't have Xander or Devers on this team locked up, I I honestly, I don't think I'll do this podcast. I don't think I will pay attention to the Red Sox as much anymore. That would be, that would be a disaster. Like an, to lose Betts, Devers, and Xander in the span of, what, five years? That would be a disaster yep. of epic proportions. And I don't see how you can allow that to occur. Yeah, and if you, I think your point kind of is if they let Bogarts go, then Devers is probably going to go to free agency and he's probably going to see what's out there and say okay you know i'll stay if you pay me more than everybody else and then you're looking at 35 million a year because he's going to be pissed and yeah i mean i you know bogarts was not in the lineup today and you notice that arroyo um was playing short it's not that they move story over there it's you know, you don't want to ruffle any feathers with that now. And Cora is going to have to be a part of this whole situation, you know, where, okay, you know, if he is extended, 
that's problem. Xander is probably going to have to move to second next year, and that's something that Cora's relationship with these players is going to have to be leveraged in in some way here um, with Bogarts if that's a switch that they're going to make. And I think Cora is the kind of man, like the perfect manager to have around to to keep these players focused for the whole season and to also help with with a switch like that if Bogarts is around next year or you know I was I was hoping that that was an extension that could be done before the season and then that switch could be made this year because it's again if you're running a, a, a fantasy team you're you're putting story at short and Bogarts at second but they're not going to do that yet and right. it's just going to be an elephant in the room the whole year and I think it just kind of hangs over the season in a lot of ways of of what's looming is Bogarts going the way that Betts went and Devers after that <clears throat> and I'm hopeful that that you know is kind of going up the chain and people are thinking of that and thinking of Lester previously and not being insulting with your offers and you talked about maybe 200 versus 300 you know, it's probably Jose Ramirez got $25 million per, and that's probably what they offered Devers, and he probably wants $30 million per, and he probably wants it for 10 years. So that's your $100 million that they need to get to, but sorry, for a 25-year-old right now, that's sounds good to me. Yeah, and we, we got a question from uh, Ray's Boom Boom Room. Um <laughs> And he says, is Devers worth $300 million? And I think that you could make a pretty good argument that Devers is worth $300 million. And when we talked about it on previous podcasts, you know, one of the numbers I threw out there was $250 million over, I believe it was eight years, is, is something that I threw out there. But I think, you know, you you got you to gotta take care of your own guys. Um Sometimes, and I think this happened with the Betts situation, I think Betts wanted such a high figure and was so intent about getting to free agency. And I think that that changed when COVID hit and the the calculus got altered. And, you know, a lot of things happened there. That one was more complex. With these two guys, you never get the sense that they want to be anywhere else especially with Sander. You know, that's the thing. He's got such a close relationship with Raquel Ferreira, and it seems everybody, um, you know, at this organization holds him in just the highest regard, and why shouldn't they? He's the leader on and off the field uh, with these guys. So you gotta, you got to take care of these guys. Um, it's not the I, guy to screw with. No, it, that's, you know, the message that you send when you do screw with a guy like Sander like, what is that? What incentive is there for guys to be what Xander has been for this team? Right. You know, like, he's just, he's always done what they wanted him to do. He takes care of his body. I don't know. It's just, you got to get Xander done. Um, and I think that a lot of people are thinking of this like, no, man, you got to get Devers done. Um, but I think the key to getting Devers done is getting Xander done. Yeah. And. Just to go back to the the payroll, you know, another guy that will be uh, he has one more year is is Sale, you know, who has that what twenty five ish per twenty seven. So there are opportunities. Obviously, they're going to need to fill in in the rotation. And is Ivaldi your 
is that someone that they extend? Because that's not someone we're talking about here, but that's another extendable front of the rotation guy. Someone's going to need to be that guy next year. But after that, there are younger players that will be on shorter salaries. And as I said, Bloom has the experience of fitting those things into a puzzle when they gave him $40 million in Tampa. And he'll have more to play with, even with those three guys signed here. And I think that he can figure that out. And he's already done a good job with the farm system. And there will be players coming up that are making less than a million dollars per <clears throat> that can fit into that puzzle. If you just look at it from a math perspective of, of what's coming off and what they've committed in future seasons, th there are teams, point being there are teams in years past that wouldn't be able, it would have to be one or the other. They don't have that problem, at least not right now. Yeah, and, and they've also got plenty of really good trade chips too to, to go out and get cost-controlled players for the rotation as well. I mean, who's yep. to say the future of Nick York has to be here? You know, maybe Nick York turns into a very reliable cost-controlled number two or three starter. You know, yep. th those are those are other options uh, that are out there, and it, it's good to have options, but you really just you got to take care of your guys. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with... Uh, it's not fun. It's it's not it's a uh, it's one of the things I just can't get away from with this season, and I'm hoping that as the season you know gets going and we get other storylines, we can kind of divorce ourselves from this uh, this thought process around these two guys. But they just mean so much to the team, and they mean so much to all of us fans, and uh, it's it's just more than numbers with guys like that. All right, so as we look down the road here for the Red Sox, um, it's about to get very difficult for them. Their uh, home opener is going to be against Minnesota, a much improved team. Then they get Toronto coming in here. And then the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, they're going to be playing them down in Tampa. So uh, tough schedule. We're going to learn a lot about this team in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, starting with Minnesota, um, they are 2-4, and four, starting with Joe Ryan and Sonny Gray in the first couple of games. So they're, you know, they it's a slow start, but they've added Correa, and that'll be an interesting series and Monday morning game. So it's a wraparound series. But then, you're, as you mentioned earlier, it's the Blue Jays that are looming at home Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, that is really the one that I've got my eyes on. You know, even if there's a, a split with Minnesota, you really want to see how you – uh, shake out against Toronto, who again tonight, you know, Vladimir Guerrero hitting two home runs early off of Garrett Cole. Um, this team is terrifying from start to finish, and it's going to be a hell of a test for for the Red Sox pitching staff. Um, you know, with this game, these games being at Fenway, but I'm sure they'll be in in Toronto soon enough. Um, that's going to be a great series, and then same thing with the Rays. They're going to have something to prove right after that um, down in Tampa after losing last year to the Red Sox. So this is going to be a, a really fun stretch that's coming up. Um, and then, you know, after that, there's four in Toronto. So just just a, a killer stretch before they play Baltimore. Um, you know, 13, 14 games here that I think we'll have a lot better feel for what this team looks like 
and where their deficiencies are after these two weeks. Yeah, we definitely can't uh, complain about the lack of stars that we're seeing uh, on these teams or, or exciting young players. I mean, even even for the, the two series that we've already had, you know, seeing all the Yankees stars, Aaron Judge, and, uh, you know, moving towards uh, Detroit, seeing some of the young guys and old friends, Erod and Spencer Torkelson, uh, you know, he hit a bomb today. Um it's interesting that, you know, we're going to see Correa, we're going to see Vlad and Bo, and then going down to Tampa, we'll see, you know, what new pitches Drew Rasmussen has picked up and Shane McClanahan. And oh, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a hell of a, a, a buffet for, for uh, baseball fans to kind of dive in and, and admire the competition too. Cause there's a lot of fun guys uh, to watch in, in all these teams that we have coming up. Yeah, and it, it's it's great to have that in April because there have been seasons past where, you know, I just think of seasons that they've played a, a lot of Baltimore where it seems like they have nine nine games with Baltimore in April or something and it's raining for half of those games. And, <laughs> and um, you know, you're just kind of plugging away through April and then the, the schedule comes. We're coming right out of the gate with a lot of great series here. We don't... Don't see the Orioles right away, I guess is my point. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Very good point. And even uh, those teams might be a little bit more exciting this year with the Orioles uh, probably going to bring up Rutschman, and then the Royals already have Bobby Witt Jr. So things yeah. are kind of getting exciting everywhere. It's a, it's a really nice time to be a baseball fan uh, in terms of the young talent in this game. Absolutely. So let's get to uh, a couple of the other listener questions before we go on and get out of here. Uh, we have a question from Just the Dude, and he says, uh, when do you think Caleb Ort will get his call up? He was pretty dominant last year and has been good in a small sample this year. Uh, Caleb Ort's a, a bullpen arm who has has not been on the 40-man uh, so far. Uh, he's 30 years old. Uh, I know that you, you covered the minors quite a bit last year here with uh, – the Red Sox on deck podcast. What are your thoughts on Caleb Ort? I, I think you mentioned that he hasn't been on the 40 man and he's 30 years old. So I think it's a, a depth arm and that there's a lot of those, you know, he had 19 saves last year, 2.980 RA at a great K rate of over 12 batters per nine, but he walked four batters per nine. And he was, there were some times last year that, it seemed that he was needed and they didn't call on him at that time. So it just doesn't make me think that he's a, a key priority as he's now entered his 30s. Yeah, I actually think there's a, a bunch more interesting guys that I would probably call up ahead of him. Um, I was going to add somebody to the 40-man. I think Durbin Feltman is a guy who I find a little bit more interesting. Edward Bizzardo, who did clear waivers. Potentially Derek Holland. Um, and then, you know, looking at uh, some of the other guys, Winkowski, um, Frank German, um, you know, there, there's guys with some better stuff uh, that I'd be a little bit more interested in bringing up, maybe even Brandon Walter. Um, so, yeah, probably not Caleb Ort, but yeah, interesting and, guy. And they, they had two extra pitchers that are up there now, right? Right. Uh, with the 28-man roster. 
So he wasn't considered for that. I think it was Tyler Danish, who I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about, that was expected to be on the team. And then it turned out Robles, um, you know, get, had a couple issues getting to camp and ramping up and ended up being ready for opening day. So that was going to be the 16th pitcher. <laughs> so if he wasn't considered them, it makes me think that it's more of an emergency arm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, next question comes from Rick, and he says, could the loss of Tim Hires uh, be partially to blame for the early season offensive struggles? What do you think? It's possible. Um, I just think we need a little more time to evaluate it. I, As I mentioned earlier, I'm not concerned yet, but it's definitely something to monitor. I haven't heard a whole lot about you know, thoughts on the, the new hitting coach whose name is escaping me at the moment. Yeah, um, the new hitting coach basically worked alongside Tim Hires uh, all of last year. So you have to think that um, they did things pretty similarly. So I'd be a little bit surprised if there was really much of a difference between the two approaches. But who knows? Uh, it could just be a situation where with the short spring training... Um, hitters are just a little behind on their timing right now so yeah certainly isn't affecting devers but uh you know not not everybody has that talent level um next one is from a random npc uh, and he says who do you see is the two odd men out when the roster shrinks from 28 to 26 uh, that shrink is going to happen on may 1st um, and it has to come from the bullpen um, because the teams are only going to be allowed 13 pitchers. So who do you think the two odd men out in the bullpen are going to be by that time? Yep, and you nailed it with that. They tried to put that in in 2020 with the 13 pitchers, and then all hell broke loose, and the, there was a lot of flexibility with the rosters, and then they put that in this year. So as you said, they would have to be pitchers. I'd have to look at um, how many options, but Valdez comes to mind. Phillips Valdez, who they have not really called upon in in high leverage situations. Um, I think Austin Davis has an option as well. Uh, Cutter, he's out of options, actually. Is he? Okay. Yep. So I would go with Valdez and Crawford. I do think that Crawford will be... I think they want him to be a key member of the bullpen, and I feel like if Whitlock moves into the rotation, that Crawford could be involved in some sort of kind of hybrid role because he had started previously, but rough outing today. So um, I just think it's probably easier for them to uh, option the players that, that have those options, and Crawford and Valdez are the two that seem most obvious at the moment. Yeah, I would say that Valdez is pretty likely. Um, I think it will depend on how Crawford does uh, in, as we lead up to May. I think they might want that flexibility of having a guy who can go uh, multiple innings like Cutter Crawford can uh, moving forward. So it makes me think they might want to keep him around. I'm going to give you a couple names that are a little bit outside of the box. Um, Ryan Brazier. Uh, has an option left. He's 34 um, and hasn't looked great 
Um, I, I actually don't think Ryan Brazier's looked great for for a while now, um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he gets sent down. And the other guy is Sawamura, who's also 34 years old. Um, he's got three options and hasn't looked great. So um, I could definitely see, depending on how those guys pitch, maybe the, the two 34-year-olds get knocked down and yeah. everybody else gets to stay up. And it could be all of them. I mean, Josh Taylor is a name that will be off the IL at some point, and you would think would be part of the bullpen. So it could end up being three arms. But these things get shuffled in and out game by game. Um, you know, they can't option them more than, what, five times per year now? Which yeah. you would think <laughs> is doable, but we saw some crazy shit with uh, Tanner Houck last year. So, um, you know, he'd rule nothing out in terms of how often these guys get shuffled around. But, you know, I think it'll be a revolving door at times until they figure out who their reliable arms are. Some poor sap got uh, optioned like 19 times last year or something. Was it the outfielder on Kansas City? Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't remember Oliver. exactly. But it was it was like... It was easily double digits. I want to say it might even have been like 27 times, but it was really excessive. So pretty uh, rude. I'm glad they can't do that anymore. Um, All right. Our last question of the night comes from Big Sox Guy. uh, And he says, who let Erod take the mound with those things on his ears? Uh, As I said, I work a full-time job, so (laughs) I didn't actually get to see this. Um, But uh, I I listened to the game. I have no idea what he's talking about. Do you? They were were dangling. They were like the old Barry Bonds dangling earrings. Oh, okay. Definitely not a look that you see too often on the baseball field and not something that we had seen previously from Erod, so... Um, it might just be a Detroit thing or, uh, someone introduced him to, a, some style out there, but it was, it was definitely, uh, it was some questionable fashion. And the first text that I got during the game today, which was a good reminder that it had started at one ten, was <laughs> what the hell is this look from Erod? So you're not the only person to notice that big Sox guy. You know what, though? I got to give some credit. There's probably, you know, I'm a teacher, so I I can't work from home. There's probably a really substantial chunk of people who are still working from home. And even though they're they're grinding away at their spreadsheets or whatever, they're throwing that game on. So, oh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, you know, you're probably getting more people tuning into this one o'clock game uh, than than I'm giving credit for. But. They sure weren't at the stadium today, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no one was. Yeah. Eck was very upset about that. <laughs> well, uh, we do uh, appreciate all of you taking the time to tune in and, and listen to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the show. Go on, rate and review us. Uh, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Bob at Bob Osgood, uh 15 I believe. Is yep. that correct? You got it. And, and uh, you can follow me at at Dev Jake. You can follow the Over the Monster uh, account at Over the Monster. And uh, we'll be with you again next week. <laughs>